Hello everybody and welcome to episode 457 of the Constructed Criticism Podcast. I'm your host, Heezy, and we are joined by the full gambit of co-hosts. I've got Mason Clark. Hey gang, what's up? And Abe Stein. It's good to be back. Dude, I... This is so cool. I, like, it sounds so weird, but, like, when I don't do the podcast, I miss you guys, like, really bad. And then, like, Mason did it, like, with just you and just me. And, like, I just just miss you guys. I miss you guys. It's good to have the whole gang together. I was feeling it. I was feeling the vibes today. I was like, dang, the whole whole squad. Yeah. Everybody showed up. It was precarious for a minute because I was, like, really sick this morning. Um, And last night, and I was like, oh, no, I hope I don't have COVID. Uh, But, you know, we got there. We got there. I actually feel great now. It like I bit I felt I have felt better by the hour for like multiple hours. It's been really cool. Uh, you know what else makes me feel better by the hours? Knowing what we're talking about this week, which is Pioneer, it is probably my favorite format in Magic right now. Holy crap, guys! I didn't say standard, and I'm really excited to talk about it with the the crew. Abe Abe looking so triumphant. You know. I'm glad that I can pass the torch of loving Pioneer on to you because, uh, I don't know. We'll get into it, but I've become a little disillusioned with the format. I, I have I have one specific problem, uh, and we might have the same problem. So well, we'll see when we get there. Uh, before we do, though, uh, Abe, I, you didn't get to do this last week. I want to make sure you were first this week. The podcast is about getting better all the time. We want to be always improving. We want to be better tomorrow than we were today. It's it's it is a complete mentality. It's really hard to do, but I'm curious what you've done in your time off to be always improving in magic. Yeah. So what I've done in, over the last two weeks uh, is really, you know, as the pioneer RC draws nearer and nearer, taking time to inventory, you know, just what I think is happening um, in the format on like a really macro level, like what I think is going on between the decks, what I think are like the biggest differentials between like, you know, what's determining wins in matches most often in my experience and the experience of people I'm talking to, you know, what I'm seeing. And then also just taking time to explore, like probably for like the last round of time I really have to explore before I settle on something, um, just the underexplored archetypes, the places where people aren't really spending time. But given the, um, you know, given their perspective of how I think the format's being decided right now, um, you know, is there room to kind of either exploit that or find uh, find an underexplored strategy within that um, to, to succeed. So that's really what I've been spending my time. I mean, at this point, I've gotten to, I've gotten to levels of, uh, of trying things out such that I'm playing uh, some Lutri decks currently. But, uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily, not everything's been that crazy, but it's really just been, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's on have, format and I looking in places questions. where I think they're successful. Are you telling me I can play Otters? Is that is that a thing available to me in the world? There are otter decks out there. I think they need some work. Um, I, I just want to be clear. They might be bad. That when They're this card was spoiled, otter decks. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, I. I. It would not take a lot of convincing me to register an otter in Magic. Uh, just to be clear, like I might have draft picked some otters. That were not the appropriate draft picks just because they were otters. Uh, because I love otters. So if you're telling... You, you get to play one otter that basically starts in your hand. Yes, I, I am aware of what this card does. <laughs> and I am telling you, Abe. One. Okay. 
uh, don't you mansplain otters to my friend Spencer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have an understanding of this otter. This otter, uh, when, when picking when picking art for our thumbnails, I might have picked this specific art not too long ago, just because it one time <laughs> did something. I saw that on YouTube, and I like shook my head and thought, "What's going on?" <laughs> It had it had one it had one deck and I was like nope yeah. this is the time I get to use it. I'll say this: it probably helped the clicks. You know, someone's like, "What's Lutri doing here?" No one no one hates Lutri. That's the secret. You know, um, I mean that's because it's banned in every format that it would like be oppressive. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's about, speaking of speaking of things that should be banned in places that they're oppressive, Mason. What about you? What did you do this week to improve? Uh, so this week I had a local RCQ, and so I have been like Abe, sort of exploring the wide reach of the format. I have not gotten into Otter territory, but I have gone to Soul Flare territory, um, which is a conversation we will have later. Urborg Scavengers, you know, last week's episode, I, I speak the truth. Anyways, um, I, I had a local RCQ, and I really didn't have a ton of time to actually play the deck that I uh, wanted to play, which was Mono Green. Um, but I made some time to play a little local event with it and then spend just a little bit of time double checking sort of like, okay, do these things that I thought were true before, are they still true? And sort of that reviewing process of like, okay, I have thoughts and opinions about this deck. I have things that I think are true. I know other people out there are saying these things. I want to think about it and make sure that I'm approaching the games in a way that makes sense. And that, you know, whether maybe I'm right or wrong about 21 lands versus 22 and four Oath and Nissas versus, you know, Invasion of Ixalan, all of those little things they definitely matter, but if I can get the core idea right and make sure that I have just good thoughts and good things, I can probably win this local RCQ. So I spent some time doing that and then was rewarded with an RCQ win uh, and got to play some really tight technical magic that I was really proud of in my four-hour top eight and was very happy uh, to come away with the win and be done for the season. So always a perfect moment, double-checking my work. I love it, man. I, I, I'll go because I had... A similar weekend to Mason, and that I also had what I'm pretty sure was a four-hour top eight. Um, I I played a local RCQ this weekend. If you're in the Discord, you know what I played. Uh, I played Gruel Boats with Glorybringer and Chandramain. Um, and I have never felt more prepared for a tournament since I quit Magic in 2020 uh, than I did for this event. And... Uh, it, it really came to show. Uh, you started out 4-0 in the event and um, ended up getting the double pair down. And so my always approving moment was something that I've really been trying to focus on in making sure that I'm fixing my mental. I used to have a really good mental in Magic. And one of the things that we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about mental, it might have been a couple months ago now, was kind of how... The pandemic really hurt my mental in Magic, how Smash was this thing where, like, I was really salty. And, um, you know, I, I kind of thought about, like, what did I do to fix this in Smash? And how can I apply that to Magic? And the last the last two RCQs, uh, I, I said, you know, I just want to finish one, one spot better than I did my last one because I... Lost in a, a double a double qualifier, lost in the semis. Well, I did finish one spot better. I lost in the finals uh, on the last turn where my opponent 
sacrifice the block token to draw the removal spell to, to kill my blocker to win the game. And, uh, you know, it would have been really easy, I think, for... And a lot of people were like, are you okay? Like, that sounds brutal. Like, are you right? And it honestly didn't upset me. I knew when I made the plays that I made that that I was putting myself in that position. But I also knew that my opponent didn't have a removal spell in hand when I made the plays that I made because of the way that they had played. And one of the, one of the ways to, I think, really help yourself have a good mental comes back to like having a reason for why you're doing things and then going back and checking your work. Um, you know, I, I did lay in bed that night and like questioned a couple of other lines that I could take. And I actually realized that if I had taken different lines, I would have left myself dead to just them attacking rather than them having to draw a removal spell. And that happens from, you know, this, it's a lot easier to have a good mental when you're prepared, but it's even easier when you have a reason. And uh, I think that that's actually something that Smash has taught me lately about like, why did I do this in this spot? Why? Because Smash is the one of those games that happens really fast where, you know, you're both going to have just like three to five times in a matchup to the, to the flow of the game and the way that things are going. And you also have to do that in magic, but it happens at like molasses speeds comparatively. And I found myself doing that a lot. Um, and one of the reasons that I noticed it was actually when I decided to keep a hand with Glorybringer because of a matchup against this like really weird five or four color fires deck. Whereas like they actually are really relying on X fours to block for them. Uh, so if I get Glorybringer down, I'm gonna win. And I in the I beat this deck twice in the once in the Swiss and once in the top eight. And uh, in the top eight, I, I had Glorybringer both games uh, and just annihilated them. And, you know, I think that that level of attention to detail might not be the right thing, but like this level of understanding what's happening comes from that coalition of like, co cor correlation? Is the coalition the right word? Correlation? No, it's not a correlation. It's, it is... A coalescence. A collation? A coalescence of, like, be having that mental state be good, having the proper pre preparation and having a reason. Um, and it felt really good. I, I actually think I played the best Magic that I have since 2020 uh, this weekend. And you know, while I was, you know, sad to lose, I also... I liked my list. I liked my cyborg. I liked my, uh, my play. Um, it was really good. I'm glad you feel good about your play. That's awesome. Yeah, it makes a world of difference in those spots where you just like, when you're just kind of taking game actions or you're like playing without a lot of intent, uh, like behind all of your decisions, it like there is a lot, like you're saying, a lot of room for frustration. But when you actually are taking like, you know, you're thinking through everything and then everything has a reason, even if you lose, you can go back and, and then you can evaluate what was the reason. It's so much less frustrating to be like, oh, I made the wrong decision than to be like, I have no idea where things went wrong. And so I'm glad. That's... Yeah. And not only did I realize that I didn't make the wrong decision, I was like, oh, I made the right decision. Like this, this was, this was actually, I think that I actually played games two and three perfectly. Uh, I could have mulliganed game one. So like, I think, I think that was an always improving moment, but 
you know, I, I kept a double elf hand on the play, uh, and they just happened to have double fatal push thoughtsies. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, let's go into... Oh, before we get into our next segment, actually, let's really quickly just shout out, uh, you know, if you want to support the show directly, head over to patreon.com slash ccmdg, become a patron of the show. Uh, you get $5, get you access to the Discord, tons of other benefits. Uh, we're Our sponsor for the Open is still considering, not still considering, they're still happy to sponsor us, our next Open. We, we as a group, will meet soon to get that date for everybody and... Uh, yeah, we just we just want to make sure that we're providing the the best environment and things like that. So, uh, our main topic this week is modern, or it's not modern, it's pioneer. Uh, that's that's my brain being like in the past, Mason. You know, kind of like people who play modern are in the past. My brain was doing that. Uh, let's talk about pioneer. And uh, Mason, you actually did the majority of the work on the show notes this week. And I really liked the first point that you put here, which is combo versus interactive versus aggro. And it it explains the format in a lot of ways, and I want you to kind of take lead on this one. Yeah, so I, I think the Pioneer format right now that does break down to these three pillars, not all, I would say, of equal size. I'll get to that in a second. I think there are combo decks. So this would be like our Indomitable Creativities, our Grease Fangs of the World, um, Honor Green, I think, interacts in this deck a little bit while also maybe in the aggro pillar, which we'll get to in a second. But essentially, there are a lot of combo decks in Pioneer right now. I think that is a big portion of the metagame, and it's putting a lot of pressure on the format and being like, okay, you have to be able to beat these decks. They've all been refined a lot over the last couple of months, especially since the Pro Tour. What are you going to do against that? Then there are the interactive decks. So think of things like uh, Rakdos Midrange, Blue White Control, Rogue, Spirits. Uh, these sort of decks are ones that are trying to uh, stop what the opponent is doing and then either kill them before they get back on their feet or sort of hard lock the game out of the case of, you know, the control decks. And then there are aggro decks, which are sort of like, hey, I am going to just sort of kill you very quickly. And that is my plan to beat, you know, like if you're a combo deck, I'm going to get you dead before you can combo. And if you're an interactive deck, I'm going to overwhelm you uh, probably post-board with some pivot card, you know, in the case of the, the classic decks where this are like gruel and mono white. Um, and I think the aggro portion is a little bit smaller than the other two, but it's still, you know, one of the three pillars of the format. Yeah, I'll jump in here that I think that there's something missing. I, I do believe that tempo decks are, have a representation in this format, which, you know, if you asked me makes, is what makes this format so great, is that there are every major archetype, um, and, I, you know, if, if you ask me, there's some room for prison decks to even enter the format. Uh, this format is really good because of this. Um, that there There is all of this available to the format. Mm. Abe? Yeah, I, I think that, like, I think a lot of people that I've seen talk about Pioneer right now are kind of, they've drawn this comparison to, like, what was like 2012 to 2014 Modern, where, you know, the decks are all doing some powerful things. There's a lot of different ways to do the same kinds of powerful things. But I will say that the underrepresentation, underrepresentation, the uh, the lack of diversity in the aggro decks that can compete has really made it to the format is, um, you know, it's about having uh, like combo decks and interactive decks that can interact with each other while still outpacing the few aggro decks there are which is like all the dynamics of a healthy format, but 
uh, I don't know, like, for me personally, uh, like, I wish that, I wish there was just a little bit more in the aggressive column, but the decks that are good, like, when they're not respected, and, and ultimately when you look at what makes the good decks in the other pillars, they're decks that can respect all forms of the aggressive uh, pillars, because they are so important. They do present such, some really good challenges in the format. Um, how do you guys think the... I, I, I don't know how much you guys have been preparing for this format compared to me, but, like, what do your cyborgs look like when you think about, like, the represent the representation of these macro archetypes? I know that I've been preparing a good bit for this because uh, the Dallas RC is Pioneer and it's in uh, four weeks from now. So there, there's a lot on the line. Yeah, that's a chance to go to the Pro Tour. Um, I My sideboards have been, I'm definitely like Unlicensed Hearse is a card that I think I have the most in all my deck lists. Um, just having a way to have some amount of graveyard hate, specifically for decks like Grease Fang, uh, especially ones when you're on the draw, has been really important to me. And then having some way to sort of, you know, uh, not let the snowball build from the aggro decks has been really important in some form of interaction or having a board wipe. Uh, a lot of the interaction, I think, also doubles up in the interactive decks. Like Rakdos is a deck that sort of uses creatures. So your creature hate can kind of move into multiple categories. So that's what's like for me. I don't know how Abe's been feeling about it. Yeah, I think it, it kind of depends on what pillar you're coming from, right? Because uh, typically, you know, when it comes to the um, to the interactive decks, right, you're going to want to be able to tune yourself to kind of flex between covering different kinds of combo and different kinds of aggro, and that can mean uh, that can mean like having a lot of the most flexible cards, like uh, or kind of having your main deck built one way and then the interaction to cover the others. Um, it, it really depends on how you want to go about it. I think that one of the perfect examples of this is um like Rakdos having things like extinction event to cover being prepared for most of monogreen's threat base and then also that just being a good card against you know some portion of like mono white and and the aggro decks um but then if you're a deck like you know mono white you kind of want to be able to skew towards having plans for like the aggro decks on paper against each other they're not really doing a lot of adjusting. There's not really a lot they can structurally change to beat each other. So they're really tuned to, okay, what are my plans for the big combo decks? And what are my plans for the um, for the interactive decks? But then when it comes to like the combo decks, I mean, the more flexible... And, and overall, I think just because of the breadth of the format and the different ways people seek to... Um, you know, different ways people are doing powerful things in the format. Like I've had multiple conversations while working on Grease Fang about how Terra Sunder is just like an absolute A plus card because it is what you need when you need a fast answer to something like a hearse um, or, you know, just something that's really in your way, but is also that, you know, flexible conditional answer or flexible unconditional answer, even if it's a bit expensive to things like, you know, a Shieldred that might be killing you in the Rakdos matchup or, um, you know, just any other random thing you might come across. Uh, it can answer that. So, when it comes to how it's affecting my sideboard, I've really been leaning into um, being as versatile as possible and trying to not be really targeted. Like, unlicensed there's a perfect example of that, uh, where maybe rest in peace is too much because it only does the one thing and it only kind of plays the one game. But unlicensed source has so much of the same functionality um, with the ability to still kind of play into closing the game on, on the decks you want it against. Yeah, I, this is going to sound kind of weird considering where Mason and I ended up this weekend where Dick's second 
and or I took I lost in the qualifying round with Monogreen, then switched to Gruel. But actually, one of the reasons that I did that was actually to have a sideboard. Um, it was something that I wanted going into the event. That I spent a lot of time developing. Um, I I think sideboards are actually really important in this format, and one of the things that you know I don't like the comparison to like old modern, but I do actually think that if you're going to make a comparison, the importance of like sideboard cards that hit specific or multi matchups, depending on your deck, is actually a really amp comparison. Yeah, and I'll say that to the statement about like that old modern format, one of the biggest criticisms of that format was that it was impossible to cover everything that you were going to run into with a set of cyber cards because the hosers were so strong but so narrow. I think that Pioneer is currently in a sweet spot where you're able to have answers that cover a huge breadth without leaving a, like much on the table. Like you can you can hedge to be better against certain things or worse against others, but you can play a suite of interaction as a deck that has a sideboard and ways to interact with with other decks that doesn't leave things out as much. And I, I think that's like really important to note. As probably the worst part of the comparison is that yeah. like people didn't like the format because it had that issue, but this format doesn't have that nearly as much. No, I, I think sideboards are actually pretty good in this format, which for what it's worth is why I was like. You know, I love Monogreen. I think that the deck's really strong. I actually think it's... Pelugranos actually fixed a lot of its problems. And we'll get into that. But I really kind of hate the 15-card Wish sideboard. I, I think, Oh, see, I think I think you've been Twitter-filled then. You don't have to have all 15 cards, baby. So, I, I, hold I, on. I so, hold on. on I finish what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, sorry. My bad. Uh, so, one of the conversations that I had is, like, with with kind of the, the cut team is... Hey, I, I feel like we're we're playing too many of these. Like, I think that we could probably narrow this down. And one of the things, kind of listening to people talk about their monogreen sideboards, was almost entirely around wish targets the last two weeks, rather than a cohesive sideboard. And so that that is something that uh, uh, I might explore this week um, as I prepare for my next RCQ is the ability to just have a real sideboard in. Parts where it matters. So, uh, anyway, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I wasn't trying to interrupt you. But... No, you're good. I, I interrupted you there. Sorry, I, I thought that was a, that's a moment of I thought you were at the end of your statement. Um, regardless, I so funny enough, uh, you can't see in the picture I took for Twitter, but half my sideboard is sleeved in the same sleeves as my real deck, and the other half are in bright pink sleeves. So I won't shuffle it in because I actually do have sideboard plans for matchups where I'm bringing cards in, and so my deck looks like 15 wish targets because I built it in a way. And it's like, it, it might, to be fair, my deck looks very similar to like the old ones, uh, but I have actual sideboarding plans with things. And I experimented with the idea of trimming and some of my flex slots for matchups where I already felt I was really good, uh, where something like a wish might be more valuable. So for example, Heart of Kieran is something that's more of just a combo piece and something against spirits uh, in the past. And now I have Flukernos, so maybe I didn't need it. Ultimately decided to keep it for its combo applications. But I thought about playing like another Stone Brain or a various card that I could actually sideboard in, like a second Pith Needle or something or anything along those lines where it's like, oh, I might actually want to bring these things in. And for example, having two Stone Brains being, you know, I have five of those effects and you actually have them way sooner against combo decks and those effects are better the sooner you do them. So uh, I think there's a lot of room for developing and there's more stuff than just that. That's just sort of where my brain went to and sort of ultimately decided against it for this RCQ, but mostly because RCQs, I think, are going to have a much wider field. And so I didn't really want to narrow in too much. I'm, I'm glad that we were all like on some 
brain waves for mono green there. Um, mm-hmm. What do you, what are your guys' perception of some of these decks? And I, I'll just go into some of them. The first deck that uh, Mason you want to talk about is creativity. This could be the combo version, the Hulk version, the eighty card builds. Um, what what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean there's there's a lot to cover. So this is the deck. I mean I, I put it here first because uh, it it won the last Pro Tour right about two months ago. Oh, I guess just about three now. Uh, Reduke won the Pro Tour playing creativity really helped put the deck on the map. And there's been a lot of innovation in that time. And so we, uh, like Spencer mentioned, we've seen Worm combo. We've seen cheating attracts into play. We've seen 80 card attracts the builds. We've seen, uh, you know, more fair versions with Hulk. Uh, I think we could talk about almost an entire episode just on these. So I'm going to try and keep it short. But I, I really like the Worm builds. I've sort of come back around on liking those where sort of the metagame's at right now. Um, I think the Hulk builds are pretty interesting, but I think calling them a creativity deck is a little suspect. I'm curious to know what y'all think. I think the option builds of that deck often play less creativities than normal. I also think it's funny that that deck has a real unlicensed first problem when we were talking earlier. Like, if you bring unlicensed first thing as that deck, not only is it a good backup threat, but it also stops your combo. Uh, it's another spot where unlicensed first is just the biggest MVP in Pioneer history. And I think the attraction decks are actually just weirdly weak to a lot of stuff. So it's funny. I think a lot of players have done the meme of like, ah, take this stock deck and change five cards. And there are reasons to do these things. I just don't like them as much as Worm right now. And I'm curious to know what y'all think. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, like, I don't know, the strength to me of the creativity deck has always been that it was occupying a very similar space to what Arclight Phoenix did, where it was able to play all of the good, like, red early game answers in a game plan that closed the door quickly. And I think much to Mason's point about kind of the, the threat spread on creativity like if you aren't closing the game incredibly quickly then you're running the risk of your interaction not actually holding up because you're not playing like all of these like you know lights out answers and so it was pretty telling to me that this would kind of come the case when the deck started playing like Atraxas and then started sideboarding the combo that now i think that we're going to go back to just people casting it for x equals two and hitting people for a million but it is still like, I mean, I, I, variants of this deck are so among the most played things online that I've run into, as well as uh, extremely popular in paper, and for good reason. It is a really strong deck um, that has, you know, much like in, if you go back and listen to our interview with Reed, he talks about why he picked the deck, and all of those things about the deck are still just true. Uh, it is still a deck that has the ability to snag some free wins just by being really proactive and have a lot of ways to interact with the stuff that matters. So. You know, it's 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 not never going to be in a bad spot. Yeah, I have I have pretty strong opinions about this deck, but I'll kind of temper them down for this. Um, so I, I actually got asked about this because some local people knew that I had worked really hard on this deck before audibling to mono green, and I I believe that there are there are there's like actually a distinct line in the sand about this deck. Um, I believe that you should either play a worm version, a Gearhulk version, or like a weird, weird version. And I'll, I'll get into why. So the the worm version is actually at a disadvantage against mono green. And it is because they can easily set up enough blockers to make what you do not matter and then combo off. Um, I am, I think, four or five and oh against this deck with mono green 
uh, and it is it is it is kind of silly how easy it is to set up like enough enough to go to either one or ten or you know whatever you need to go to in toughness when you know that that's what you're playing against. Um, however, I think that that version is better against the field. The Gearhulk version, however, I believe has a buy against Mono Green. Like it is not close. I don't think that they can beat you. Um, so th I think that's a pretty big dichotomy. I do believe that the reason that some people say would end up in between, where they might end up in like an Atraxa sideboard of the combo, is for the exact reason I talked about, where Mono Green might have a problem beating an Atraxa without comboing off. Um, and, and, and they might go through the motions. They might have enough. Um, I actually really, I, the list that I posted that has, I think, you know, that I worked with, uh, with Mason on a, a little bit and other people that has two agent of treacheries, one coma and one Atraxa that I, I still kind of land on that level of split where like you can, you can creativity for any amount which I don't believe that I don't believe that if you're going to not play Gear Hulk, I don't believe that you want to take away your ability to creativity for more. I believe that then why are you playing creativity? Because there are plenty of uh is it transmogrified? That's not the name of the card, is it? No, it's not. Yeah, if you're going to do something else, just play transmogrify. Like it's you get better mana, you get like all kinds of stuff. I, I think that there are reasons for all of them. And I also do believe that this is one of the best decks in the format. Um, I, I think that it will show up and force at your RCQ. Um, I believe that there will be a version between what I just talked about that will do well at the Pro Tour. Uh, but I, I don't know the answer. So Yeah, I, I think it ebbs and flows a lot in week to week and sort of stuff like that, right? Like I might feel totally different about where I am in two weeks from now and same first with certain eight, right? Like this deck definitely has a lot of flexibility in the ways you can pay off. And so I think it was a good one to start on, not between not only the, oh. the pro tour, but there's just so much going on there. I do want to say the Vol is it volcanic fissure? What is the name of the card? Volcanic spike. Holy crap, that card is such For an sure. upgrade. Just being able to hit planeswalkers instead of having freaking fiery prophecy in your deck, like absolutely you would think no that card be, is safe yeah it, it you would think that that is like minuscule it is not that is like actually a huge deal mm -hmm. I, yeah i totally believe that uh let's up in the next deck this deck that i've joked that i should be banned from magic for losing to one time and that is rogues um I, i'm gonna just kind of combine rogues and spirits here we did a bonus episode that's about 10 minutes long for bonus content this month kind of about this topic but I'm kind of curious, uh, where do you guys land on rogues? Uh, I think the deck has promise, but is being built terribly. I, I, we all go into this a lot more in the in the Patreon bonus content. But basically, I think that if you built rogues like spirits, it fixes a problem that I think spirits has, where spirits has this issue of its creatures not being very good on their own and all being sorcery speed and your deck's best cards and best play patterns being being ahead on board and then countering everything your opponent does. Uh, and when 
it's hard to do that because the counter spells all cost mana and the uh, creatures all cost mana all at sorcery speed and your deck can't play a ton of lands because it's a bunch of really cheap pips and it's supposed to get ahead early. All of those things mean that it's not good at it, but all of the flash things and the cheap interaction in rogues make it so that that makes sense, but it obviously is very much a work in progress if you go look at it on Goldfish. Mason? Yeah, I would say, like Abe said, we mentioned this more in the the pre-show, and so we get really in-depth there. I don't think that'd be a good benefit for listeners at large, but I do think, like Abe said, the deck is just kind of fundamentally misbuilt and not leaning into its strengths. Um, and if it looked more, if it looked more like spirits that had cards like Make Disappear and Lofty Denial in the deck, and sort of you know more flash cards, I think the deck might have a chance to be a real player. I personally have been really liking blue white spirits that have removed Curious Obsession and added just four more lords to the deck. Uh, I think that has solved a lot of the problems that I have had with spirits personally, and I know a lot of people who have been doing really well with that build of the deck, and I think that deck is sort of making a step to be more like rogues. So one of the things I, I have I wrote up earlier today before we even had this conversation on the pre-show is I made a rogues deck, and I want to go back and sort of whittle at it from what we talked about in the pre-show um, and sort of get it down to a spot where it is much more like a flash deck and looks a lot like the spirits deck that I've been uh, touting and liking of blue white, which just no curious obsession, get in there and attack them to death. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge believer that there's a place for a tempo in this format, but I do believe that both spirits and rogues are actually not built correctly right now to make it happen. Um, and if I would encourage people to, if you are interested in playing a tempo deck to listen to the bonus episode, um, maybe we can, maybe we, we can, uh, kind of add bonus content to that if, if Mason or I or Abe come up with stuff that we want just attached to that. But I, I do think that there's, there's a problem there. Um, blue eye control. <laughs> Let's talk how this deck has done since the power rankings. And, uh, I didn't do a power rankings, but as far as I've seen it, it fell off a cliff. Uh, Compared comparatively, like not like to the point where it's like a a bad deck, but like it is not the best deck by like thirty points by any stretch of the imagination. It 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 was. Hey, hey, go ahead. You want to talk? I want to give it to you. I you know, I went up there and I defended the defended the honor of blue white mages everywhere by telling Spencer that there obviously was something going on here. And, and there was something to to really take away from... Uh, and you know, there was maybe new things that we weren't understanding about Blue-White when we did that Power Rings episode. And I went out there and I discovered that Blue-White has not changed at all. It is the same pile of cards that are too expensive and too clunky. And it is impossible to win matches with. Um, Here's the thing. I, I appreciate your hyperbole. I do believe that if you resolve a Teferi in Pioneer, your win percentage, like skyrockets unlike any other card in the format well that's because you were at zero percent before <laughs> and then now... <laughs> very few decks go from Hold zero on. to like 40. i got i got hate mail about how i reacted to blue white i got i got messages we all got, got the dms YouTube from comments. i'm just saying like this deck is this deck is so bad or so sorry so good at beating up on specific things like uh, people kept. We had two in our top eight of of the RCU this weekend, and people asked me like, "Spencer, who do you hope wins this matchup? Who do you hope?" I was like, 
Well, I don't want to play against blue-white, because the card Farewell is unreasonable in this specific matchup. Like, I don't have anything other than Chandra. Like, I'm actually playing Chandra in my rule deck because of Farewell. And I believe it's 100% correct. I believe that you're actually insane for not playing it. I believe, like, you cannot ignore the matchup because of how popular this deck will be. But I don't, I don't know what you're beating with blue-white other than decks like Gruul. Like, Supreme Verdict? Banger. Like, when it's a banger, decks banger. I just, I just think that Teferi, Supreme Verdict, uh... There's got to be like a Days Undoing version of this deck that is better than what everybody else is doing. I just, I have to believe it. Shout out to George Jabor on the NRG circuit, who has, you know, been actually doing what you're talking about there, Spencer, where he's playing, I think, uh, Days Undoing were two for Narsets and uh, trimming down some of the top end stuff. Uh, and I know that he's been liking it and trying Esper as well. I will say this that I, I think, uh, as there's like some reflection on that episode, I think we do this a lot where we sort of get to the best deck. If we don't like it, we don't do a good job sort of touting what its goods are. And instead, we sort of make sure to, like, temper and give our expectations. I, I think we've done a much better job today of being like, yeah, like, if you're a creature deck, you're going to die. You will not beat the blue-white control deck unless you have the proper tools. Yeah. And it, the tools don't overlap anywhere. So it's well, really hard, sort of like that thing we talked about earlier. How do you have tools that overlap in these two spots? Well, Unlicensed Horse is, like, the only thing that actually does. Well, it's so funny because, like, I actually think Deferi does a really good job of pinching those type of decks, right? Where it's like, mm -hmm. all right, I have a Deferi now. Like, you either kill this Teferi, or you die. Like, I draw extra cards till I get to a Wrath, and you're, like, in huge trouble. And I don't even think that it's just, like, Gruul, which I think it's mm -hmm. its very, very, very best matchup, uh, that has this problem. But I do think that, like, registering a cancel is wild in this format. I, I, I... I wish that we had the exact numbers of the number of cancels that have ended up, the number of absorbs that have ended up in somebody's hand where they died. Yeah, well, honestly, I, I respect the deck a lot more if they played Essence Scatter. Dude, or, I, honestly, <laughs> me too at this point. Like, like there, there isn't there like Change an Essence Scatter that exiles too? Like, there has to be. Absorbs seem so bad. I, 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 I want to change the equation idea I have thought about. It is just, I think there are just too many three drops that are just too good. But it's How many were not red or green, dude? Hold I'm, hold I'm serious. I, I think hold outside on. of Kildred. I've seen lists that play that card instead, and I, I don't hate that idea. It's legitimately good. That card I, that I, card I, is legitimately good. Yeah, I mean, that, that card is a little too good, I think. I think it came out a little too hot. But I, I guess maybe, I mean, outside of Fable, because Fable is like the, the three yeah, drop that, sort of that, the, the format. The big thing wait, I thought doesn't was doesn't it still count Fable? No, it does. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, he was oh. saying what three drops are played that... Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's it like Shouldered doesn't counter, Greasefanger doesn't counter, but yeah. it counters like a lot of things between, and it sets you up to like convert Yeah, but Greasefanger can't beat a Farewell either. It, it can't. That's six mana. I, I mean, the, the, the thing I think is that the, your rest in peace actually does the difference, right? Like, like I think you probably lose a lot of game ones, then game two and three, like we mentioned before. Rest in peace is just such a backbreaker I, when you're able to protect... I hope, I hope that it's clear from listening to the segment that we all see the benefits of blue-white. Because last time, I think that Mason and I went ham. Like, we were like, you should not play this deck that is 30 points above the next best deck. It's so bad. And Abe was like, you guys sound crazy. And then listeners were like, what's happening right now? And it, 
it did. It fell off a cliff, and I, I think that it's that's okay. Like, I think it's, I think it's, it's also normal. important though to point out that like the decks that have kind of moved in on that vacuum. I mean, if you look at like what won the challenge over the weekend, it was like eighty card Niv to Light with Yori. <laughs> Right, it's like there are decks that are seeking to take a position of going over the top and establishing inevitability and like out resourcing their opponents, um, and playing a bunch of a bunch of answers and then some closers. Like those are decks that are still existing and thriving in part because they believe that you know like they're doing similar things to what the strengths of blue eyed are, except they're doing it in a different way that might be better. Um, so. I think that it's important to like, you know, blue white does still have merits. It, there are still matches that it will win. It still has powerful cards that are very good, but, uh, yeah. you know, I, it's I will, just, I will say this because I, I, I want to add on to what you just said. Don't just play 60 card blue white, like figure out a lane you want to be on in 60 card blue white. Like I'm a huge fan of, of the cat cyborg plants. Like I do believe that like Brimaz and, uh, what's the five mana one? Regal Regal yeah, I, I actually do believe that they have a lot of merit. I And not playing a companion in this world of blue-white seems wild to me. Like, the number of people that just showed up with no companion with blue-white at RCQs the last month, you 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 should be playing a companion. Blue-white otter. There's no way that otter. works, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. You, you copy your negate. <laughs> Sphinx is Rev. I for three. Oh, Jesus, copy it. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, next, next deck. Next deck is Mono Green. Uh, Abe, you get to pick. Who do you want to talk about this deck first? Mason one. I lost in the qualifying round. Who, who gets to talk about it first? Yeah. Here's the thing. Mono Green. It's still really good. I feel like I feel like we got we got to say it. Mono Green. Abe gets to talk about really it first. Let's go. Never really stopped being good. I'm 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 pretty big on mono green. Like I think that I think it's got the same issues where it uh you know doesn't really have a sideboard, which is pretty valuable. Uh it does the same thing every time, so it either does or it doesn't. But I think that so many of the games in Pioneer are decided by the power level of your deck and the consistency of your deck, that this deck is doing things powerfully and consistently, and you know. So we talked about almost like a year ago now uh, when it came to mono green was that the deck was about as good as it could get, right? There's not going to be a lot of things that structurally change mono green to be better. Pelucranos is a card that meaningfully did that because it gave you, it gives you even more redundancy on triple green permanents to have in play for your Nykthoses on turn, th like in your best draws on turn three off of like elf Pelucranos Nykthos with a bunch of devotion and it also just incidentally has reach, of course, and is a way to like lights out the like more um, like clock you aggressive decks if you just have that that kind of draw. Like making a worm pearl engine. Fun fact: Blueprintos gives you infinite creature draws during your combos. Uh, we won't get too far into that, but yeah, like I, I actually think that uh, I'll, I'll go next because I, I think that. Mason will already won. We already know that he knows everything he needs to know about this deck. I actually think Pelucranos made this the best deck in the format. I, I do actually believe that Mono Green went from on the defensive, like people are attacking me, that Pelucranos and other cards, like I, I think that it got a lot of cards that people are trying. 
and that still has access to from mom specifically. Um, I, I think this is the actual best deck in the format. And if you're going to an RCQ, the reason that I, I would not play Spirits or Rogues, for example, is because I, I believe that they don't have a good mono green matchup. And I, I believe that you can't play a deck that doesn't have a good mono green matchup. And that your Rakdos decks, if you're going to play something like that, needs to now be focused again on mono green rather than the other things it was focusing on. Um, I think that Pelucranos, it, it I, I saw that card, I was like, this seems really good for mono green. And then I played it one time and I was like, holy crap, why does this have lifelink on the backside? Why does it have reach on the front side? Why is it a worm core? Like every part of the card, you're like, why? Why does it do that? Um, the the want for Nykthos to be banned, I still think is wild. Like I actually think that like, it is totally fine for this format to have a Tron deck, uh, but dang. Pelucranos, uh, MVP of this deck. Mason, go ahead. I think something Abe sort of mentioned before, referencing to a year ago about how we said it's going to be hard for this deck to structurally change a bunch, right? And really what happened is, is Pelucranos came in and all the flex slots disappeared. Like, Sylvan Karyatids, Teferi's, Nicobolas's, those, or Nissa who shakes the earth, those were the cards that uh, uh, Pelucranos took the spot of and said, hey, I am your most powerful flex slot. Right now, being able to consistently turn to, and Mulligan in such a way where you know you can consistently turn to a four-power creature, takes a lot of matchups that were bad before and turns them into ones that are winnable. If you know you're playing against another combo deck, a lot of times Modern Green was sort of a slower combo deck than everyone else, but was more consistent and basically would do its, had a chance to do its thing a little early, but didn't always do it. Now you can go turn two, four, five, turn three, four, four, attack, attack, you're dead. Yeah. And like it, your Karn Pith and Needle can actually do something. Dude, it, it's uh, so wild. I I agree. It, oh, sorry, I thought you were finished. Go ahead. No, you're good. And and I, I just think that goes a long way in sort of allowing you to change the matchups and being a proactive deck. I have won uh, a lot of games recently, not even getting close to the combo, but my opponent's having to respect it because I could have comboed had they not fought over these Karns. But I have these huge creatures that just bash their heads in. And I think Mono Green has gained so, so much from this happening uh, and has really re-cemented itself as a top deck, where before I think it did have problems and it was lacking, but having just a better game against aggro deck and a chance to sort of cheese other combo decks while adding consistency to your deck has moved it up into my mind into being like a top three-ish deck. Again, where before I would have said it's a top 10-ish deck. Yeah, I, I want to just solidify what Mason just said, where... Um... You know, this was going to be... I had kind of two things that I was going to talk about for Always Improving. One of them was something that Abe and now podcasters have asked me about in using Pioneer... Or using Explorer to prepare for Pioneer, to play leagues. Uh, but like kind of that, that step thing that I talked about a few weeks ago. And one of the things that I have learned is that I 100% love it. I will actually be doing this the entire Pioneer season, every time I switch decks, if if it's available in Explorer. Because if the games are faster, I can learn the basics really quickly. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to do it. And Mono Green was one of the more interesting ones where it forced me to learn the games, not on the combo perspective, because I don't have Oath of Nyssa to make sure that my combos happen a lot more, 
but actually on the aggro axis. Uh, and I actually think that this deck is a much better aggro deck than people even realize now, even even two weeks after Pelucranos, I still think people are behind. They they do not get that they were just going to die to turn one of turn two, three drop, uh, you know, like, uh, it, you're lucky if, if you are not dead, like, just to them attacking you. Uh, and it's a huge deal. I, I think the number of reach creatures is a huge deal, too, so. Yeah, my, my last thing about mono green is that I feel like there's this, this, like, idea about mono green that's come up a lot when I've talked to people about the deck. That what really make like oh like it's so hard to learn there's the combo and stuff when in actuality the hardest games and most rewarding games i've ever played playing mono green and some of the ones where i'm like most proud of the way i played are the ones where i have had to just navigate some really intense creature combat situations because all i have are big statted creatures and ways to spend my man on the board or like a lair of the hide or something i'm balancing between like these things and a low life total and my opponent being a low life total. And those are the games where you really get the difference is monogreen. In yeah. My opinion. No, knowing when to activate your lair and how to activate it is actually like the, the thing that turns like a bunch of losses into wins. I want to shout out Mason really quick though. Um, he did an article about Teferi, like the, the way the combos work. Mm-hmm. I want to say a while ago. And, uh, it was so funny when I was playing monogreen, I was like, Hey, how many do- devotion do I need in this deck? They're like, just read Mason's article. And I was like, well, Mason's article goes in depth about like versions of the deck that I'm not playing. I want to know when the loop starts. And one of the funny things about the loop uh, that I think you do get from Mason's article is that it kind of starts at, at like 11 devotion to start starts to get you there. And then you kind of have to finagle it. Because it's, yeah, it's... Go ahead. Oh, sorry, go. I was going to say it's eight if you have Carnage Hero in the graveyard and in play. Oh, no, that's up. true. Thank you. Yeah. No, this is actually... No, you're good. I, I was, this yeah, is actually... Yeah, I, I, Mason I, I, talked about Heart of Kieran before and why mm-hmm. Heart of Kieran is important. And that is actually the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, where, like, if you only have... You, you need to be able to activate enough times to kill one of your Planeswalkers, if not both... Uh, with Chainveil, and the number that we found was like 11. Uh, but Mason, why don't you dive into it just really quickly? I, I, I think, honestly, as much as I would love to, I'll, I'll keep it really quick, because the article, it does talk about the Teferi combo, but all that's the same applicable Uh It gets you to the basic devotion, and you did Teferi is just another form of it. So the article has everything you need. Uh, if you have eight devotion in play, and two lands, or two mana to accurate Nykthos, and you have a Karn and Cure in play that you haven't used and a Karn and Cure in your graveyard, you have won the game. There are a lot of steps. I'm not going to go through it on the podcast. If you have just a Karn and Cure in play and none in the graveyard or in hand, um, then you need 13 Devotion in order to combo off and start winning. There are ways where you can sort of start earlier and play cards from your hand and get there, but these are the cleanest ways. Yeah. So it's 8 and 13. Yeah, that's that's really fair. I think the reason that we came up with eleven was that you could kill your Karn um, pretty easily. I want to I want to say the last thing that I'll say on this deck is that um, if you think of yourself as a combo deck, or if you think of yourself as an aggro deck, that is not the way to think of it. It is an aggro combo deck where you need to pick a lane every turn. 
And that is really hard. <laughs> uh, because those are, that's a dichotomy. So I, I, I think that's really great. Uh, let's talk about Rakdos. Uh, Mason, you put, is this still the default best deck? And I want to know your thoughts. Yeah, I think Rakdos is still one of the default best decks, not to bury the lead. I think over the last year, Rakdos has shown it is one of the most consistent and best decks. I think Shoda had some great innovations, uh, putting Mutavolt into the deck and moving things like Crocs out of the deck. You lose a little in the mirror, but gain a lot in a lot of other places. And it's not like you have an awful card in the mirror. I think actually, uh, front of the show, Jarvis Yu did some great work sort of adding the Fork Shieldred and another Mutavolt to the deck and sort of pushing it that direction. I think those are all some really great things. Uh, and this deck is just proven it can break up what the opponent is doing and then aggro the opponent out and sort of put pressure on them before they can reestablish. And I think Rakdos has you know remained a good deck. And if you're at home and you're listening to that last section, you're like, all right, so am I not allowed to play Rakdos anymore? I would give you the thumbs up. Hey, you can do it. Just as always, you've got to make sure your sideboard's built well for the weekend. Yeah, I would say that Rakdos is a really good deck. Um but you have to pick your spots with it. Um, the the number one thing that I would say about this deck, uh, I, I wanted to mention this on this podcast. I have been a pro Thoughtseize gamer as long as Thoughtseize has been in Magic. Uh, I'm I'm actually anti Thoughtseize now. I actually think this card is the worst design card in Magic, and actually should be removed from the format, um, at least for now. Um, <laughs> Abe did not like that. I, I, here, here's the thing, is that this deck, uh, we, I, I, I played I played against Black Red four times this weekend, only losing to it in the finals. And my opponent was the only one to not, get the, the only game that he uh, won, he cast Thoughtseize on turn two. And he also, he cast like eight Thoughtseize that match. I, I, I do not believe that this, this card while it makes this deck better and this deck is built around that card, I don't believe that it makes the format better. The, if, if there was one thing I was going to change about Pioneer, which is, I told Dave I would say it on the show, I, I it's hard because like I want Grease Thing to have it. Like I want other decks to have it. But I do believe that there is a Thoughtseize problem in this format where it, it's funny that people like hate on Mono Green because I actually been playing against Rakdos when they have thought seize in the first three turns is so much less fun and you have to mulligan accordingly to even beat them so if you don't and you like don't put your opponent on rakdos you're just in trouble so like are you just supposed to auto mulligan against thought seize and it, i think it's a huge problem but to this deck's benefit that's to this deck's benefit like get bent nerds like you have to know that they're on rakdos like you have to respect that, otherwise you're in trouble. Abe? I I just laughed a bit because I think it's very, very you to be like the two worst design cards in history are Thalia and and Thoughtseize. Let me just put my stupid spells on the stack. That's all I want to do. I just want to put them on the stack. Hold on. I I have probably won more money from Thoughtseize than everybody else on this cast. I, I would I would put I would put money on that. I am not saying that Thought Seize isn't a good card, I'm saying in this specific format, I don't like it. Like, in Legacy... You said it was the worst design card in Magic. You did say that. The top two two now for me. (laughs) 
are are Thalia and Thoughtseize. That's so if you true. start with TH That's and you wrong. make it harder to cast a spell. Yeah. All right. You're on Spencer's right. watch list. Do you know what? Carry on. You're right. I these that's are the all. two worst design that, magic cards of all time. I left. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, Rakdos is really good, y'all. I, like it's it's just, and and I'm glad to hear Mason that you're also come. I haven't talked to you about it, but that you're also coming around on Team Mutavolt. Sounds like I think that uh, for Rakdos to be competitive, it has to have ways to um, effectively close after spending so much of its mana interacting and mutavolt is one of the only ways to do that like there were a lot of games where dan of the bugbear did something really similar um and it was like okay yeah this is like the games where you had one and the games where you didn't were night and day but it's so much mana to use and mutavolt is very very cheap to use and often you need to be like interacting and dealing damage to close the game and i think that um you know especially when shieldred kind of is your is your your defense and offense at the same time card that every chip chip shot matters and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, playing Rakdos is never going to be a bad choice. I think that it's between that and green, those have been just steady, you know, steady playable, you know, if you're a hashtag reasonable deck gamer, you're registering one of those decks. You're, you're doing the right things. You're not, you're not doing anything crazy and your deck is always going to be, you know, competitive enough to win. I, I I have to ask this. Uh, you get to pick four two-drop removal spells that are not stomp. What are you picking, Mason? Go. Four? I'm I'm just picking two. I'm just taking a braid and uh, go for the throat. Oh, that is a hot take. Abe. I mean, the tracks up. Heartless Act. Uh, and... Yeah, I think like I think right now I'd be on like one 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 heartless act, uh, power word kill, and uh, go for throat. The little the little sampler platter. Yeah, I'm on I'm on I think one dread boar, one abraid, uh, and maybe two power word kill. I think that's that's where I'd find. I think heartless acts are really underrated. I think except for against the neoform deck, it's just really good right now. I, I think it opens you up to some problems against mono white but i admit that mono white's in the decline so it is uh reasonable to you not want to talk it. about mono white yeah because yeah, i, I the place. <laughs> just want to get that in before we left <laughs> um yeah i think that mono white like it, the two biggest additions to mono white are for like recently have been the oh i don't know the name of the card Copper what's the name of the knight Oh, uh, Knight of Errant. So I'll look it up real quick. Five drop? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that this deck was playing that card. Go ahead, King. Yeah, so the, the biggest additions really to Mono and what's changed, two cards from uh, Marching Machines, which is Knight Errant of Eos, the Convoke five drop that kind of like, uh, I wouldn't say collective companies, but you get, you get to like look at the top six and put uh, two creatures that are mana value less than or equal to the number of creatures you convoked it with. Um, and that card, I think, has done a really good job of hedging, like giving it a little bit more breathing room uh, against Rakdos, a little bit more uh, like ways to to contend with all the one-for-ones, um, as well as Invasion of Gobicon, which has been a good way to like not only interact with... Um, interact with like the combo decks in another way of taxing them, 
but also, uh, I mean, at least in my experience, been a very strong way to punish the control decks when they have, you know, sweepers like Supreme Birth, you can't. I actually have a huge love it for this card, and I'm just going to drop it now. I actually think this card should be played in decks like uh, White white Green Company, this deck, and Blue White Spirits. Uh, I played against a Blue White Spirits deck that played this card, and I had to get really lucky to beat them. I I actually think this card is 1,000% Pioneer playable, and also exactly what a lot of decks need to beat a lot of the cards in Pioneer. Yeah, I've white been a real big fan of it in Blue-White Spirits as well. What I will say about Mono-White that's kind of scared me in seeing these decks is that the way they're building themselves now to include these new cards and kind of try them out has really strayed away from, at least to me, what I thought was the power of Mono-White, of being really low to the ground, fast to the board, and um, you know, ending the game quickly and pushing through with effects like Brave the Elements or like, uh, you know, like an Adeline on turn three and then another creature in a brave like brutal cathar or you know another creature plus brave on turn four typically would get the job done and i don't feel like i've really seen as much of that out of the deck since they've played more of these interactive cards and i i think that there's some room in there for mono white too once the format kind of hammers itself out more and it's not trying to cover so many things at once and not trying to explore so many new ideas at once um be really good but right now it's kind of i think it's in a good spot um if you're trying to play an aggro deck as they go right you have a lot of tools that have now entered the deck to be stronger but figuring out the right mix of them and like what your main deck and side supposed to be like is kind of a, a bit of a work in progress from the the mono white hive mind i don't know how you feel about that i'll go next i, I think that um i like a lot of what you said one of the players that i really trust uh, and uh, local player zach uh he talked about Heart of Kirin and how he was playing it specifically actually for this matchup uh, out of uh, Mono Green. And I really loved his logic and his reasons why. Um, one, I think that like any time that you're playing this deck, like the, the your deck is built around winning with and around Brave the Elements and pretending like anything else I think is a, a little weird. Um and, and I think that it is important to recognize that. Uh, I I also think that like this deck, this deck's decline is contributing to Mono Green's rise because I actually think this deck has a really good Mono Green matchup. Um, yeah, I think that's why it dropped recently. Not to interrupt you. you no, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's. I was gonna say Mono Green fell off for a little while, and this fell off too. And I, I think you're a big point. Like if Mono Green's on the rise, this deck's on the rise. Yeah, I think this deck is just likely to follow suit. I, uh, I, I know that Matt Kling, former host of the show and teammate of mine, like he would have played Mono White had it been available to him this weekend. Uh, as far as like card availability, specifically because people are not prepared for it because Mono Green's going crazy with Pelucranos, uh, forgetting about this deck. I, I think this deck is pretty good, um, and we, we, you just have to kind of figure out what to do. I, I'm of the opinion that you do need the prison stuff right now. Uh, I, I would love to see like two of the battle or one of the battle uh, in the main deck, but I also recognize how much that takes away from what the deck is like normally doing. But it, it I don't know, if you play the battle, you like realize how fast it makes up for that. Um, 
just even on the current flips. Yeah, I don't have much to add. I'll just say that I think players are under, they're trying to like have authentication and have the convoke the Knight Aaron of EOS and have the Govicon and have Brave the Elements. And you, you just, you can't have all of those things that aren't creatures. Something has to be a creature. So if you want to do all of those things, it's like, okay, you might need to play Skrell instead of Brave. Or if you want to have Brave, it's like, okay, you need to play Brutal Cathars instead of having uh, all these ossifications. And you just need to have logical plans that allow your deck to still function. I don't have much more to say on Mono White. Um, so. I love what you said, though. I actually think that I played against a Mono White deck that played two, I think at least two Skrelbs uh, the other day. And I was like, oh, this is so hot. Uh, Grease Fang, this is the deck that people prepared for the most in my local metagame, um, over the last month, because it came out in force. I think this deck is really good. It, it's really funny to listen to people, like, try to go back to things like Jeskai or Esper, or, like, other ways to play the, or, not Jeskai, uh, Mardu, like, other ways to play this deck. I, I do believe just because of chariot that this deck is good like just being a chariot deck that has a combo kill i don't believe this deck is going away and what's so funny is that when this deck came out i was like this seems so much worse i don't know why we're doing this like we're just adding chariot to our deck and it was like maybe the most wrong i've ever been in magic uh i i think that abzan greasefang is here to stay and it has its own problems, but if somebody is not prepared to beat Abzan Greasefang, they are just going to lose to it. Like they're they they have actually no shot. It is it is that kind of deck. Uh, Mason. Yeah, I think Greasefang is one of the most powerful decks in the format, and is honestly only lower in my opinion because of the rise of Mono Green Devotion, as Mono Green has you know taking more and more space in the metagame, having a main deck sort of stony silence effect against you is very hard. It is not unbeatable. I actually, I mentioned having a four-hour uh, top eight special. I played against a very strong local player for two hours in this matchup where we we had really back-and-forth draws and just was able to go wide and pressure my Karns. And your deck now isn't stone-cold dead to a Karn the Great Creator, um, which is, like, a great spot for your deck to be. So... I think this deck is good, but it does have sort of a bit of a Karn problem, and you have to figure out and make sure that you make uh, choices with that in mind. But the deck is strong, and everyone's sort of gunning for you, and it's still succeeding. You know, we talked earlier about Unlicensed Hearse being an all-star card. It is probably the best non-Rest in Peace card for on the draw against Grease Fang. You just actually have a way to do it. It might not be as high impact as a bunch of matchups like Go Blank might be, but it's two mana versus three. People are doing this, and we're still seeing this deck succeed. And that is a real testament to its strength. Yeah, it's it's hard to... Like, I don't know, some of the best things about, like, the Boats deck is that it gets to kind of have a strong early game and then get into, like, Chariots and Boats and such. And Greasefang has muted elements of that, right? It doesn't quite do that as, as often or as powerfully, but that is a good enough, like, you know, set of pressure to to bolster, like, an aggressively slanted mid-range deck. And, uh, yeah, Greasefang has that, plus the ability to combo you, plus the ability to use those things to kind of, you know, small ball combo you. It's just it's just a lot of really, really powerful stuff going on, and the right amount of it is proactive and castable. 
for that to be good. So you know, it's something you got it. You have to respect these days. For a while, it wasn't the case, but it, it really is just one of the best decks. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this deck will stay in like the top ten ish range for a long time. Um, I, I'm going to talk about the next deck first because I trust my teammates a lot. Um, I have now also seen this deck. I have now also played this deck, and we're going to talk about Rona combo really quick. I am a non-believer. And I would like you guys to convince me I am wrong. We will start with Mason. Yeah, I mean, the Rona deck, I would say this. It is impossible to play that deck on Magic Online. I played KCI combo without having, like, the Cheaty Emrakul back in the day and did it, like, in the paper thing and wouldn't time out. Playing Rona on Moto, you literally have 10 minutes to play. And so I think a lot of testing and stuff that goes on with this deck you can't have it happen on Modo unless you're playing with friends because the deck just requires too many clicks and takes too much time to properly execute. Uh, and there are weird things your opponents can do, like wait uh, and do this just to time you out and win a match like 001, for example. Um, that all being said, I do think there have been some really strong innovations in paper. Uh, and this deck has done a lot of work to move into a direction that is like a Karn the Great Creator combo deck as well and get some pretty big upgrades from there. And I think a lot of people judged this deck in the first day or two and just gave up. And a lot of other people have just been playing it in, you know, ways where they can actually test or in person um, and not playing it in leagues. And then all those people have been fairly happy with it. So I don't think it is, you know, some broken deck. Uh, it might end up being, and maybe I, I'm wrong on my sort of read on the abstract right now, but I do think this deck is better than people give it credit for uh, fairly consistently. It, it just does a reasonable thing at all points. Yeah, I, I don't think that, like, Matt, me, or Paul were on, like, the you-don't-have-time-to-play-the-deck line. I, I, I do think that, like, your card quality was so low for us. Um, and one of the things that I think that is true about this format, if you look at, like, some of the decks we've talked about, between Rakdos, uh, between... Uh, Grease Fang. I mean, I, I literally watched a Grease Fang player thought season this deck and then miss on 15 cards to lose a match. Like, they 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 had to get really unlucky to lose it. I actually think this deck is kind of weak to kind of the format at large is my problem with the deck. And I don't think that there's a problem with the power level of the deck or the synergy with the deck. I think there's a problem with its placement in the format. Um, Karn, Karn, I have not seen a lot of people play. My question would become, like, is that better than, like, some of the, like, Sacrifice Karn decks or, like, things like that? But, Abe, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's hard to evaluate a deck that is very obviously very far from its best form. I would not be surprised if at some point in the next, like, year or so, there's going to be some tournament where we all say, wow, Rona is... The breakout deck, it's really good and you need to respect it. And it is playing like maximum two cards that have come out since today when we're recording this episode. You know, like I think it's I think it's incredibly possible. Um, but it's just not it's not there for me right now. And, and like it's it's like almost impossible to to really explore deeper without really being committed to it. I think that without that, um, without being one of those people who's really strongly committed to it, I'm not really qualified to speak on yeah. on it outside of what I'm seeing. Uh, let's talk about Green Raid Boats. This deck was the deck going into the Pro Tour. Uh, completely fell off a cliff. 
um, and has had some innovation since the Pro Tour. Um, I, I, I'm kind of curious your guys' thoughts, just because I think that I have a lot more to say. So I'll let you lead on this, Abe. Uh, what do you think of Green Red Boats going into an RCQ? You know, I think Green Red Boats is... It's a deck that... Um, I think up until Pelucranos, like, it was the deck that was best at leveraging Llanowar Elves to just get ahead early and have all the tools to, like, contend with all the decks that you were concerned about by being proactive with, while also having a sideboard, which is pretty pretty important, and using that to cover your bases in a lot of ways that maybe, like, decks like Monogre and the other Elf decks were under the gun um, by. And now that I think that people are going to start, you know, ticking up on their respect for for green and maybe for land Wells in general, um, you know, you're going to be getting a lot of that benefit back. I think that a lot of the reason it kind of didn't perform and fell off at the pro tour is because it coming into the pro tour was considered, you know, one of the default best decks. It had just like all of the, um, it had all of the tools to be a good deck in the format. And then everyone knew that. So a bunch of players who are pro tour caliber players are going to find ways to make sure they're not losing that. Uh, you know, at your RSQ level, I think the Gruul is like an absolutely great choice. I think even at like the RC level, Gruul is probably a great choice too. It, it it isn't going anywhere. You know, it's it is still just a a powerful um, proactive deck that has eight dorks in it. So um, yeah, those are those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, I really love what you said about eight dorks, and I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I want to get to Mason first. Go ahead, Mason. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Abe said about. Uh, this with the RC and everything. I, I think that comes up a bunch in coaching is people say like, is this like a reasonable deck? Is this a, like, is this deck real or not? And I think it's just a proactive deck with a good clock and just enough ways to interact with what the opponent is doing in order for it to consistently cross the finish line. And there are a lot of different tools that can be your clock and you sort of need to figure out what is the best thing for that weekend and sort of fight those fights then. So you know, you, some weekends you might have your scooses in your main, you might have them in your side, and that sort of thing is very important. Like, I've seen players play Lightning Strike in their main instead of Obliterating Bolts. So they have more reach when there's more combo decks going on, and all those sort of things are things that I think are reasonable. And I think just the main game plan of Elf into something powerful is really good, especially when Stormseeker is that card. Stormseeker just slingshots you so far ahead of so many decks when you're on the play and really compounds this Elf into something draw where you're just immediately getting pressured and everything's attacking the turn it comes down. So I think this deck puts a lot of decks to the test. Yeah, I agree with what Mason just said. I think that like this deck, Stormseeker does something that I don't think that a lot of people come into the format expecting. Like they're paired for, you know, dealing with multiple creatures or small creatures. And then like they, they get hit with this and they're like, oh, they're like, attacking me for three with just one creature and then they deal with that and then you end up playing like a five drop the next turn like it, it's really hard for them to deal with kind of the dual threatness of the wideness of chariot the and obviously like if you ever go elf stormseeker chariot like your opponent is dead like they they are not nobody's beating that uh every time i had that draw i won this weekend um, and it, it, you know, it really comes down to, I think the reason this deck is so good is because it, it, it pressures the format in the way the format is questioning. It follows the rules of engagement of this format. Uh, if you were to ask me the rules of engagement of Pioneer, 
It is, do I have something that kills Elf? Do I have Thossies? Uh, or do I have Elf? And that's it. That's the whole... That is the entire format when you're looking at your opening hand. Um, and the reason that I think that Mono White does so well is that it gets to ignore those rules against some of those decks. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that... I, I, I'm a huge believer in this deck. Uh, not only because it's my favorite deck, but also because... I think that it follows the rules of engagement really well and actually has a ton of room for innovation. Uh, one of the things that I've been pushing in our Discord is actually Ranger's Blast. Um, and I can tell you unequivocally that it was the best card for me this weekend. Uh, I was forced to play all nine rounds this weekend because I got the double pair down. And Ranger's Class was the best card in my entire deck. Uh, it lets you push through damage. It lets you attack through large toughness creatures. Um, it lets you play the long game this deck don't, wouldn't normally get to play. Um, and I believe that it is just a better card than uh, Pack Leader was in similar slots. So, um, All right. Uh, we already talked about Spirits, so let's wrap up with Lotus Combo as our final deck before we wrap up. Uh, I don't have anything to say on this deck. I have gotten to watch a lot of this deck the last two weeks. Um, I, I have still not been convinced that this deck is like a, like a, like a top three deck in this format. I, I think that it, uh, feels a really important role where it's like, Hey, do you have the proper things for this deck? Are you prepared for this deck? Um, similar to like other modern decks of old. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think this deck is like, Totally, like, team reasonable. What about you, Abe? I've heard some rumblings of Chandra changing a lot and making uh, making this deck, like, seem worth... You know, like, maybe got a, a bit of a shot in the arm, but I haven't really had time to explore that myself. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that... I think Lotus Field is a deck you absolutely have to respect, because if you don't, it will beat you. And... Uh, like and that that level of respect just means you need to be registering a deck that has a plan against it or registering cards in your sideboard that have a plan against it you you can't just ignore the fact that combat decks like this exist that won't really um give you conventional points of interaction or uh give you all the time in the world so um i don't really have much more to say i don't know you mason yeah i think lotus field puts people to the test like we talked about you need to have the stuff you need to have a clock if you do not have uh, some form of way to slow this deck down, whether it's Deafening Silence, Damping Sphere, Alpine Moon, uh, a bunch of discard, you need to have something to prevent it from doing its game plan and then follow it up with a killing blow quickly after. The deck will rebuild and it will beat you. Uh, every single time in Pioneer, there has been a Lotus Field does really well at the Pro Tour level. Some people adapt to it. It sort of falls off. People forget about it. You come back to the RC slash Pro Tour level, it comes back. Uh, you have to respect it. And if you don't, it will continue to sort of do that cycle. So let's all agree. Two damping spheres for Dallas. We all have 13 sideboard cards. Let's go. Um, but that, that my big thoughts on the deck are that. And I think it is a totally reasonable deck that has a lot of really good matchups. And a lot of people will play poorly against you because they don't understand your combo. And you can learn that deck without having to play like any modo. You can just read articles and goldfish it, and that's a great thing to have in the format for people that don't have time. 
Mason, what would you play in Lion Binder? Uh, I just played Mono Green in RCQ. If I had to play an RC tomorrow, it'd probably be Mono Green. I, there are a lot of decks that are on my mind, uh, and there's a lot of like janky stuff. Uh, I, I think I, my answer is Mono Green. It's just very consistent and very solid, and being consistent is a thing I value a lot. Um, I played Mono Green with 21 lands, 4 Oath Nisses. What about you, Abe? What would you play? Uh, because of Open Necklace, it was an RC... I would probably not play mono green and play uh, black red, or maybe you know it depends on how these Lutri adventures I'm going on uh, treat me over the next week. But um, yeah, I, I'd probably just either play play that in open deck list um, situation, play red black, or play uh, or just play mono green. I think mono green is really really good, and I've always enjoyed playing it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of torn uh, in this format right now. I'm actually considering where to play like just this weekend, and I am deciding between four decks like Creativity, Mono Green, Grease Fang, and uh, and Gruel. And you know, I'll probably play Gruel all like uh, all, all things equal. But I I I actually think that like uh, Creativity is getting less and less respect. I keep seeing it do. Um, do work uh, and also have the ability to have different builds. I, I think this format's. I think this format's like. Uh, like I said, I think it's my favorite format. So, uh, Patreon questions. If you want to ask, ask a question on the show, uh, you can become a patron of five dollars or more. Become a patron of the show. And this week, Adrian says, "Why are metagames so stagnant until the Pro Tour?" I don't know if that has been true recently. And so I'll answer first. I just disagree with this question. I think that the RCs actually have been forcing massive change. I, I think about just this last standard RC, for example, and the appearance of... What's the name of the Black Red Planeswalker? Obnixilis. Yeah, Ob, like, changed that whole entire tournament. And if you, like, were at the top tables, Ob was everywhere. And it was, like, this card that everybody had discounted was just annihilating people. Um, I don't I don't think that this is true. And I actually think that this Pro Tour actually proves that it's not true, where the Pro Tour was pretty stagnant uh, compared to the RC seasons. Uh, what about you, Abe? Yeah, I mean, just... It, there's even fewer events now than there used to be. So I think it's really compounded on the fact that when there's not disproportionate incentive to you know, innovate, people won't do it. So it'll remain stagnant, right? Like, seen it all the time where it comes to, like, Magic Online, people play the play and copy-paste the same, like, you know, five or six 75s of various decks and play them against each other. And then, you know, there'll be something with an actual, like, a, a Magic Online Championship Series event or, um, you know, something where there is a much higher incentive to succeed and people will put in the time and effort and change things. And so that's the best thing about having, you know, structured, organized play that people want to engage with and everyone wants to engage with, not just the top players is that everyone gets involved in, in that process. And so, you know, that's, that's why that happens. Yeah. I would say like sort of what Spencer said, like the question is why are many games so stagnant until the pro tour? And I sort of think RCs are like, the way to get to the pro tour or the most innovation happens because of that prize. Right. I think for a lot of people, 
the prize of the pro tour is more important than actually like the money and stuff like that. Like getting to play the pro tour for a lot of people is that motivator that Abe talked about. And so I think, you know, the reason things are stagnant is just like Abe said, the incentives aren't there uh, in other areas. And so, you know, this want and desire to not miss out on something that left for a couple of years for a lot of people, I think is really strong and pushes innovation. And then when you get to the pro tour, you want to have a safe deck to make sure you do well. <laughs> so we saw pioneer pro tour, a lot of and huge innovations this last pro tour, uh, you know, with a more narrow card pool, more defined things. We saw a much more structured red, black shielded approach to things or red, black X approach. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's all about incentives. Uh, if you want to join the show, you can do so by heading over to Patreon to join the uh, the Discord, the public Discord, also for Easy Game Media, as well as the YouTube comments every week on the show. If there's a comment worth talking about or a question that we can answer, we read it on the show. And then you can also hit us up on Twitter. You can follow CCMTG on Twitter or the rest of the network, uh, whether that be Sam Black for Drafting Archetypes or myself. Um, and then Michaela and I are, are kind of discussing like the future of Mythicast. Uh, like, sub, comment, review. It's a great way to support the show without having to spend a dollar. Uh, you know, any of those things really does actually help the show out. Um, it, it means a lot to us every time we get those reviews. Um, and it, it helps the show more than you could possibly imagine. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me at Spencer138. You can find me every week uh, on Need to Nerd, where my nerd podcast. And then every month to every other month on Smash Through, a podcast about getting better at Smash with a focus on always improving and then uh, kind of working out what that will be like for Mythicast. If you want to hit me up for coaching, just shoot me an email at SpencerHowland at gmail.com is the best way that I will see it. Um, I do have some open slots right now due to, uh, you know, getting laid off due to the tech industry being the worst. <laughs> Abe, what about you? Uh, you can find me over at twitter.com slash more things. I do have some uh, slots available for coaching, so you can hit me up about that. Or you can just uh, wait for me to tweet pictures of cards that may make you uh, make a brain chemical. How about you, Mason? You can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. Find me each and every week over on Card Kingdom Writing. This week it's all about some Pioneer decks. It's three spicy decks. We've got some Soul Player, got the deck that Abe talked about that won the challenge with the new Nivmus at Supreme. A lot, a lot of really cool things going on over there. Um, and then I am still uh, coaching a still my full-time job. If you are interested and want to talk about that, you can reach out to me via Twitter, which once again is Mason E. Clark. Uh, and then you can reach out to me also via email, masoneclark at gmail.com. Just make sure to put something in the description about coaching. That way I know it's you. Dude, you got some coaching love this week on Twitter and in the Discord and other places that I saw. So just I just want to shout out Mason. Good work, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really awesome to see people put in hard work and sort of, you know, I think a lot of people can do a lot better if they just are shown the tools. And yeah. sometimes things are just gatekept, not being able to be taught in a one-on-one -on -one environment makes it really hard for someone to get the idea and just takes a little bit to go a long way. Uh, Abe, why don't you lead us off on what you learned this week on the show? I learned that if the card starts with TH and is good, Spencer will hate it. Thoughtseize, Thalia, Thassa's Oracle, the three things Spencer hates the most. I've never said that. Never one time have I said I hated Thassa's Oracle I'm putting in your mouth. All right, but... you're, you're just spreading... Thank well, when you think about it, Thoughts' Oracle doesn't let you cast your cards because the game's over. Because the game's over. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, yeah funnily no, enough, I, I actually defended Thoughts' Oracle and the combo this weekend 
I was like, if there's something that I could do to improve the format, I might actually unban this deck. The inverter deck? Yeah. Dude, give me, take me <laughs> back. I I, do, I just don't. There, like we reviewed the whole ban list, uh, and I was like, some of this doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, I, I got to hear. I would, give me I would also ban Heliod because it sees no play and unban Walking Ballista. Uh, so I have I have a lot of thoughts. My my mono green side would appreciate your Dude, donations to the green Honestly, honestly, how much less annoying would people be with mono green if it had a walking ballista in the sideboard where it just ended the game in like one second? I think you don't think they'd be less annoyed. Right. You think they'd be more annoyed? No. Yeah. You know what? What is? What do you mean no? Because I'm gonna because I'm gonna draw a walking ballista and cast it for like X equals twenty just naturally or whatever. <laughs> Why are you sideboarding it in? No, I I've got three in my main deck. Uh, and one <laughs> yeah, you and I are on the same wavelength here. I'm just not. Lucanos is great and all. These Othanuses are cool, but we'll find a way. Yeah. I had a I had a tournament, or it was after the green red deck did well. Uh, do you guys remember the green red ramp deck winning that challenge uh, in Pioneer? Yes. Matt Kling is like, "Hey, Spencer, did you see this deck?" I was like, "Matt, I won three thousand dollars playing this deck at multiple events when Pioneer first came out." And I sent him my deck list and he goes, wow, your version seems so much better. And I was like, yeah, that's because half my deck is banned. There's Field of the Dead, Walking Ballista, and Once Upon a Time in my deck list. Obviously, my deck looks better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mason, Ooh. what about you? What did you learn this week? Uh, I learned that uh, when it comes to Pioneer, we all are in a similar place, but for different reasons or slightly different reasons, which I find... Very interesting. I haven't fully unpacked that yet because I wanted to focus on the topic at hand, but it's something I sort of want to re-listen and uh, ruminate on a bit. Be like, why is this? That was actually mine too. I, I was really surprised that we all ended up in similar places from like different perspectives. Um, I, I think that this format is about things which I think is that we we might all agree what it's about, and that might be why we've ended up in similar places. So I'd be I'd be curious to kind of listen to that, and this this might be like one of those that Spencer was like re-listens to and listens to Abe and Mason be like, what what did I understand you correctly? Pioneer is a Rorschach test on how you evaluate Magic formats. Uh, what quarterback am I? You're Tom Brady, baby. Oh, <gasps> thank you everybody for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Another episode of CCMTG.